Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome into Hoopsville on what is normally a Thursday edition. I'm your host, Dave McHugh. Don't forget, you can always interact with us on Twitter at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, hoopsville at D3Hoops.com or join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. This is one of those rare occasions where in the middle or even late in the season, we are not live with a show. We have a podcast this week. We apologize if that is an inconvenience for those of you who love the live show version. Other uh, commitments for us, we've got to pay the bills somehow, uh, required us to put together a pre-taped show. At the same time, I'm feeling a little bit under the weather, so this isn't going to be a very in-depth show, only because there's only so much I can do today um, while putting this together. Now, we do have a number of interviews, and we'll get to those later in the program. We will cover some other topics, including, uh, once again, the chaos of the top 25, and I say that tongue-in-cheek, lots of losses once again early in the week already. We'll talk about conference tournaments up ahead and whatnot. We'll try and go a little bit more in-depth in the coming shows, possibly even going three hours on Sunday and Thursday of next week. But don't forget, in a week and a half's time, we'll be on the air for extended periods of time on Sunday to talk about who we think is in and out of both men's and women's basketball tournaments, along with other topics. And then the following Monday, we will be bringing you the special bracket show. At some point that afternoon, the timing is always kind of a fluid one we're talking about who's in who's out and the brackets that we have seen including the committee chairs on the show that's still ahead so this podcast is a little bit strange to have late in the season but it is what we need to do uh, to make sure we still bring you content this week especially interviews with guests while at the same time not skipping a day at in such a pivotal point of the season in a little bit of a twist this week we have three women's guests and just one men's guest one of the guest requests that we had out there was unable to attend, and honestly, due to my illness and timing and whatnot, we weren't able to get somebody else. Certainly not the end of the world. Women's basketball deserves just as much attention as the men, but you know we'd like to keep it as balanced as we possibly can this week. It just did not work out. As for our guests, the WBCA segment will take place uh, with the Southern Maine women's basketball coach. Lots to talk about at Southern Maine with what they do off the floor or off the fields. Samantha Allen will join us. She's the head coach of the Huskies. She's also in charge of their SAC, and they do a tremendous amount of uh, community service and other ways of giving back to the college and the Gorham community. We'll talk to her in the WBCA Center Court segment. Also talking women's basketball, we will head to Scranton in the Mid-Atlantic region. Talk to Trevor Woodruff. He'll discuss what they did to change things up about midway through the season that has possibly made them an even better team than people realize. Yes, they have one loss, but I think a lot of people, including myself, weren't sure what to make of the Royals this season. They may have figured that out themselves and have the answers to prove it. And then the East region will talk to Sage women's basketball coach Allison Coleman. They moved to the Empire 8 this season and had to adjust to a lot of things, but they find themselves in second place in the conference, and we talked to her as well. As for the men's side, we go to the Great Lakes region. We will talk to John Carroll men's basketball Pete, coach Pete Moran. Pete was on our preseason podcast as one of those coaches who had um, taken over a program in his first year. Pete joins us again to talk about the Blue Streaks and the OAC race. A reminder about all of our interviews is they were conducted, most of them, on Wednesday before teams played their games. So any reference to games in those interviews or timing and whatnot might be a little bit dated per Wednesday's results. Speaking of Wednesday's results, we've joked earlier in January how often Wednesday seemed to be the 
red day, as it were. Lots of losses in the top 25, especially on the men's side, but even the women's side this year. That shifted to Saturdays of late. The last couple of weeks, it looked like no Saturday night could go by without shaking your head at the results and wondering if anybody was going to be able to hold on to the lead in a conference or be able to stay in a playoff race or even can stay in the conversation as being a top 25 team. That may have slid back to Wednesday again this week, though Saturday is still to be played. On the men's side, there saw three losses in the top 25. Wittenberg took its second loss of the season in a row as well as Ohio Wesleyan tripped up the Tigers. Of course, we've talked about the Battling Bishops and their struggles since the holiday break, but Ohio Wesleyan got the win over Wittenberg 85-80. Of course, that was at Ohio Wesleyan's home floor. Wittenberg now has a huge game coming up against Worcester, who's nationally ranked as well. Worcester playing very well of late and flying a little bit under the radar thanks to the fact that Wittenberg has had such a tremendous season. And, of course, Ohio Wesleyan has fallen off. So Worcester is going to be an interesting uh, scenario here and I think could change up the OAC standings if memory serves. It could be interesting also on how it may change up the regional rankings. So a loss for Wittenberg, two in a row. They're going to try and keep from going three straight on Saturday against a very good Scott squad going into the OAC playoffs. Oshkosh took another loss. They're now 18-6. and six. They weren't 14th ranked in the country. They lost to Stevens Point, who's now swept Oshkosh this season. They lost 77-70, that game at Stevens Point. Had a person email me about why I wasn't necessarily voting for Oshkosh in the top 25. I won't go into the entire email. It was an extensive and detailed email. I appreciate the time they took, and I have not, due to my uh, doing to be under the weather, have not had the chance to respond, though I thought the loss to Stevens Point was kind of apropos. I am certainly not one who has been voting for Oshkosh of late. I've just not been impressed with um, what they can or can't do at this point in time. Uh, I think games like Stevens Point are winnable for Oshkosh, and they haven't gotten it done. They are 14th ranked. Who knows what other voters are thinking? Uh, I'm voting for just two uh, WIAC teams personally. Uh, they include Platteville, who I moved into my top five reluctantly. Uh, I think at about five on down, I don't love anybody. And then uh, Stevens Point, I have at 21. Stevens Point's in there because they're getting it done in the WIAC, and i got to give them credit for that, despite the fact that what I saw in front of me was not that impressive. But yet again, and I've said this in nauseam as well, Stevens Point's defense is what's getting it done. And Stevens Point, the last time they won a national championship, got it done with defense. That's what makes the pointers so scary at any point in the season, but most importantly, this time of the season, when we're coming down to the end of the conference run, but on also have conference tournaments, and in the NCAA tournament. It's fascinating to see what Bob Semling's got for a squad there, and the win over Oshkosh kind of solidifies to me that while the WIAC is a really good race, probably the best we've seen in a long time because of how deep it is, it might not mean that the WIAC teams are as great as we think they are. I think Platteville has proven themselves. Stevens Point has somewhat proven themselves. Whitewater has completely fallen off um, the pace, as it were. Oshkosh really hasn't shown they can step up, and neither has anybody else. So as good as I think the Wyack race is, and as good as I think Wyack teams are, I don't think that the Wyack has a lot of top 25 teams. And if they keep cannibalizing each other, which they technically are, with one game left to play in, in the regular season and in the conference tournament, they may not end up with a lot of bids. That is still to be determined. Obviously, we get a look through the the regional rankings more, and certainly next week's will give us even better indications, though this week's regional rankings gave us a lot of ideas of where the committee is thinking on things. 
The other loss in the top 25 on the men's side was Lycoming. They defeated Lebanon Valley. That is the fifth loss for Lycoming, to be honest. I'm a little surprised they're still ranked. Uh, I don't, I've ranked them once, and it was a mistake, and I've admitted that on my blog. I meant to put somebody else in that spot and just wasn't thinking it through. I had them 25th. It was one point. Lycoming hasn't had the schedule that has blown me away, especially in non-conference play, and they haven't blown me away in conference play either. They've got some really nice pieces, and I like what they have for a team. They just haven't gotten to where I think they could be with that squad, and I think they're getting exposed quite a bit in conference play here. That said, the Commonwealth Conference is also a very difficult conference. doesn't tend to be loaded at the top in the last, let's say, five years or more, but it is very loaded in the middle and the bottom. It's one of the deepest, if not the deepest, conference in the country. Again, that doesn't say anything for the top. I'm talking about just how competitive every single game from top to bottom is. The WIAC, very similar to that, but I think even the Commonwealth bottom teams may be more competitive, more competitive than the Mac Commonwealth teams. Talent is a different conversation in that conversation because I saw Stout, for example, and I thought they're extremely good uh, in the WIAC, but they're at the bottom of the WIAC as well. So comparable, those two conferences. But I, again, I'm, I'm struggling with the Lycoming vote at this point. As for those receiving uh, votes, as good as St. Olaf looked against St. John's, they didn't look that good against Carrollton. Lost 72-58 to on the road. That's their sixth loss of the season. Whitewater, as we mentioned, lost again. This time the Platteville, 70-66. to At least it was close, but Whitewater is now 16-8 and and on the outside looking in. New Jersey City blew another opportunity. They finished third in the NJAC thanks to a loss to Stockton, 87-66. Seems like the, the uh, Gothic Knights didn't show up. You have got to show up every single night of the year. I said this to someone in the NJAC the other day. Listen, we hear that the NJAC is a competitive conference, and I get that, and I don't take that away from anybody. But somebody in this conference or multiple teams in this conference have got to put their foot down if they want to prove they're that good a team, that good a program, worthy of top 25 and worthy of deep NCAA conversations. In other words, deep runs in the NCAA. I'm not seeing that. And I haven't seen it for a number of years. You can't have an off night in what you call a tough conference and be, and, and be in that conversation. And that goes for Ramapo, that goes for TCNJ, that goes for NJCU and others. It just isn't, it isn't the reality, as it were. And I don't want to harp on the inject too much because, again, it's a competitive conference, and I can appreciate that. But we talk about deep NCAA tournament runs, and we haven't seen one except from Stockton in the last 15 years. And these teams are battle-tested, maybe, but I don't think they're mentally prepared. They're not mentally prepared to have NCAA tournament runs, but more importantly, be ready for every game. And NJCU, I think, showed that against Stockton. Emory and Henry took another loss. That is five in a row for the Wash, losing to W in the uh, Washington Elite, 92-87. I know they're missing their third best score. Not sure if he played against WNL because I hadn't had a chance to look up that box score. Not sure if that is the entire reason for ENH's struggles. But after starting the season 18-1, and they have now lost five straight and are falling in the ODAC standings. They were second. They could fall further if they keep this up. They've got Eastern Mennonite coming up at the end of the week. It was a five-point game to WNL. And WNL is under a new head coach, certainly impressing as well in Kevin McHugh. But again, not ideal for ENH. And Keene State lost again. They're now 16 and 8, lost 84 75 in overtime to Plymouth State. So Keene State is this enigma that I can't put my hands on. 
Uh, everyone is, tells me that knows Keene State, that they play darn well. I even ran into a couple of, or talked to a couple of officials who conveyed that message to me who've seen them play, saying, listen, Keene State's darn good. And we saw them take it to the wire with Eastern Connecticut. Eastern Connecticut, of course, then lost the trap game after that. But Keene State has lost another one in, I guess you could call it a trap game. It isn't really, but Keene State at 16-8. and eight. If they get in the NCAA tournament, they're as, they're as scary as they have been the last couple of years. Ryan Kane's done a great job with this program, and they've proven themselves in the NCAA tournament. But, man, they're Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde when it comes to the regular season, much like the rest of the teams we've been talking about this year. On the women's side of things, a little less red, a little less red. Oshkosh lost to Stevens Point. Uh, Oshkosh women struggling this year by their standards. They're 18-5 and five now and really can't get a – a figure on what's going on with them. I'm sure Coach Fisher is frustrated as well, making that WIAC race even more fascinating. Ohio Northern lost to Ottermine, 64-56. That's the fourth loss for ONU, who seems to be struggling of late. Wisconsin Lutheran lost to Benedictine, 63-51. WLU is a good team, but their conference seems to have figured them out, maybe. Benedictine's also a good squad. Don't get us wrong. We just haven't talked about the women's side of things there in, the, uh, in that race, the NACC. Of course, Benedictine enjoying what will probably be the penultimate season in the NACC. Still no word, and we will continue to talk to the conference, on what Benedictine's status is for next year. A reminder that they have applied to Division II officially. We will not know if they've been accepted to Division II until June, most likely. That still means they will be a Division III school next season, though. And there's no word from the NACC on what they will or will not do with Benedictine, whether they will be allowed to compete in the conference and, more importantly, compete in the conference tournament. I've, been, I've gotten some interesting reports, one saying that they, by bylaws, should be able to compete, but I've also gotten reports that there's some in the NACC who don't want Benedictine there. Don't know what's going on. Really don't. And we hopefully will get to the bottom of it from the conference side of things at some point. We have reached out to the conference, by the way. We'll reach out again. They haven't given us an answer. Gustavus Adolphus took another loss. This time to St. Benedict, of course, ranked number 22 in the country. Uh, Gustavus Adolphus is starting to put themselves in a spot they may not be able to make the NCAA tournament. Now, with five losses, that seems a little bit surprising to say. But remember, in women's basketball, there aren't nearly as many losses as there are in men's basketball. Lynchburg lost to Randolph-Macon, 61-49. If you haven't noticed, Kelly Williams for Randolph-Macon continues to impress. She had 70-plus points last week alone in two games, 45 of them in just one game and 10 blocks, along with 20-plus, 30-plus rebounds. Randolph-Macon's a scary team. Lynchburg's the top team in that conference. Well, until Randolph-Macon had something to say with it. So that's the women's side of things, a little bit better than the men's side. Certainly there's regional rankings to discuss. I'll be, I'll be honest, because of my illness, I have not been able to dive into the numbers as much as I can. I do know there's some frustrations, and I get that. I'm starting to see some things I can't figure out, especially on the men's side, but even on the women's side to some degree. Um, not sure where to start with those things. On the men's side, a lot of these things make sense to me. I think some things are also a little bit uh, head-scratching, uh, as it were. Um, but also the discrepancies in, in win-loss percentages, I think, is the biggest one that is jumping out at a lot of people. But I know one complaint, for example, in the West region was that Whitworth is sitting in fifth at 20-3. and three. They're 1-2 and two versus regionally ranked opponents. Their SOS is a 5-12. Um, I don't know where to go with that. Uh, I understand why they're in fifth. I think some people are frustrated. I don't think it's going to matter, to be blunt. Um, if they were to only lose one more and it's to Whitman, I have a feeling they will move up into a spot where they'll be a safe pick to make the NCAA tournament. Yes, the West does concern me, though. 
if they make the NCAA tournament, along with Whitman, they're going to be hosting anyway. Uh, the reason I say that, and we mentioned this on previous shows, is that the Whitman women have priority this year. Women in general have priority this year um, in the first weekend, which will force Whitman men to go on the road. The most logical place to send somebody is to Whitworth. That's considering they're going to fly two teams into that region to play, and it's a drive between Whitworth and Whitman. The caveat to that could be Texas, though I really don't see that shaking out. The idea being that both Whitman and Whitworth need to fly somewhere to balance off some brackets. I just don't see three teams in the Texas region being available to drive to each other at this point in time. Now, a lot can change, and whoever wins conference championships like the SCAC is going to have a lot to say with that. But my gut feeling tells me that Whitworth's going to be hosting as long as they make the NCAA tournament. And maybe being in fifth spot is a little bit worrisome. I get that. Their SOS isn't great. Though they did play some decent teams, it just isn't working out for them uh, this season, unfortunately. Um, but if they get, of course, the win over Whitman in the conference tournament, to win the conference tournament, this, this point is mute, as they say. They're going to have to do it at Whitman, though, in Walla Walla. The only thing I've noticed with some of the arguments with the regional rankings is a lot of people take the regional rankings and redo the results versus regionally ranked opponents' data and say, well, wait, we're, let's say, 4-3 and three versus regionally ranked, when in reality, they're 1-3. Well, remember something here, folks. When we talk about results versus regionally ranked opponents, we cannot use new data. We cannot use the data accumulated from this week's rankings to make the argument for where someone should be in this week's rankings. Because these week's, week's rankings do not exist in any way, shape, or form without the data from Last week's regional rankings, the committee looks at the results versus regionally ranked opponents from the previous week. There's no possibility of looking at this week's because they haven't ranked this week's. And they're not going to do a ranking, then change the numbers and do the ranking again. That does happen at the very, 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 very end and only by the national committee. The RACs and the National Committee look at the previous week. This is across the board in all sports, especially in Division Three. Results versus regionally ranked opponents is based on the previous week. You can't change the argument to look at the re results versus regionally ranked opponents using this week's rankings to argue why you should be higher in this week's rankings. I'm not trying to be callous. As some said on Twitter, I'm defending the system. I'm defending the, what the data is. And the data says you're, let's say, one and three, not four and three. And we need to keep that in mind when looking at this information. Now, next week's rankings will be based on that four and three results versus regionally ranked opponents. And in that case, we can argue where a team should be ranked compared to everybody else. Because the other problem with the idea of changing your results versus regionally ranked opponents is we have to change everybody's results versus regionally ranked opponents. Again, the data is through the Sunday prior to rankings being released. So this Wednesday's rankings were based on the data that came out on Sunday the 11th. Sunday the 11th, the data is compiled. Tuesday the 13th, the racks meet and rank. On the 14th, the National Committee looks at those rankings, makes any adjustments, which I've been, telling, been told they have been making in some way or shape or form, and then they're released that day. We can't be using data then from the 14th to make an argument based on data that are rankings that were based on data on the 11th. The data next week will be on the 18th and were released on the 21st. The final rankings will be released based on data on the 25th and released when we get the brackets 
on the 26th. So please keep that in mind. I get some frustrations with rankings. I understand some scenarios and not truly understanding everything. I also understand those who do get it, but maybe don't appreciate the situation they're in. There's no right or there's, I can't help um, uh, situations that present themselves. We know full well that teams are in situations where they got to win to get in. And that is the easiest way to get in, remember. There's more bids in the AQ than there are at the at-large. And please understand that I've always argued there could be tweaks to the system. I've recently argued that I believe the SOS is being misunderstood. I have this gut feeling and in, in this, in, in this conversations I've had that strength of schedule is starting to turn into a strength of team. That that number somehow indicates just how good a team is. When in reality, it has nothing to do with the strength of the team. It has everything to do with the strength of a schedule. And we need to keep that in mind. More and more times, I have this feeling that someone says, well, my SOS is 577. Thus, I'm better because we're a better team. No, you just played a better schedule. And yes, if you're 15 and 5 with a 577, and we're talking compared to a 13 and, and 3 team, who has got a schedule of a 530, when we compare the two of you, we're going to call you about equal because, yeah, maybe you taking a few extra losses against that toughest strength of schedule makes sense, whereas the team with the easier strength of schedule, by the numbers, would necessarily have less losses. I get that, and that's how it should be used. We should not be using the SOS as some kind of barometer as to tell us how good or bad a team really is. That is not its intended purpose, and it's not going to help the conversation. But I have a feeling more and more people, and I'm afraid even on the committees, tend to use it that way. I don't have that as a fact. It's just a gut feeling the way things have evolved over time. And I have this feeling the SOS is taking on more and more importance. importance. And I have a feeling maybe because it's misunderstood. We'll find out. We'll kind of flesh that out in the next couple of weeks and see if that is a, a fair assessment or not. But certainly the way arguments are made, it certainly is. And I might have even been guilty of that from time to time. And with that, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll get things started with our one men's guest of the day. We'll talk to John Carroll's Pete Moran, talk about the blue streaks, the OAC race in the Great Lakes, and why even he was concerned about some things on the team and have made adjustments but also how those adjustments can sometimes be thwarted by his team's own exuberance. It all makes sense when Pete Moran joins us on the City of Salem Hoopsville Hotline. You're listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. We'll be back with Pete Moran and John Carroll after this. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division III basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. 
That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. And in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. Welcome back to the Welcome back to the Thursday edition of Hoopsal on this special podcast. Appreciate you taking the time to enjoy this version of the show. We apologize to our fans who love us being live, even on Facebook on the simulcast. Not possible this week, but moving on. First guest interview today will be John Carroll Men's Basketball. They are regionally ranked. They are leading the OAC. Everything is good at in John Carroll land, though it's been an interesting up and down season under first-year head coach Pete Moran. Team finds themselves 20-4, 14-3 in conference play, having beaten Heidelberg on Valentine's Day. Pete Moran joined me to talk about the Blue Streaks, his first season, and what they've done of late to change things and improve the team. A reminder, we talked to Coach on Wednesday prior to their game against Heidelberg. Now joining us on the City of Salem Hoopsville Hotline, it is the head coach for John Carroll, Pete Moran. And uh, Pete, thanks for coming back to the show. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me. And uh, question for you to start us oh. off. Uh, what's it going to take for uh, for us to get a uniform <laughs> over at the uh, Hoopsville uh, Podcast Studio? Send it, sir. Send it, and it will be hung. That is that is my my general rule. Is if uh, if any school wants to send something my way, we will find a home for it on the wall. We'll put that in the mail today. Okay. There we go. All right. I appreciate it. We'd love we'd love to have it. Uh, some blue streaks in the studio would be fun. Actually, that'd be fun. <laughs> Um, I thought it was, we were going to go somewhere else with that question. I'm, uh, you, you set it up with a softball. I appreciate that. Um, no problem. Listen, nationally ranked, a lot of conversations in the Great Lakes. The OAC race has been certainly fascinating. You guys have seemingly had, I wouldn't call it an up-and-down season by any stretch of the imagination, but you certainly have had some interesting results. It's also your first year. We talked to you in the preseason podcast about getting ready for this year. We're now talking to you at almost the end of that first year. Uh, how's it gone from your point of view? Uh, it, it's been fantastic, and uh, you know the, the, the success that we've had up to date uh, re- really stems from you know our senior leadership. Uh, they, they, they both are all four of them bring a unique quality to the team, different leadership abilities, and uh, secondly, our coaching staff. You know, I got five five assistant coaches, and uh, four of them have full time uh, jobs outside of coaching here. So it's been a collaborative effort, and uh, like I said, I think it stems from our uh, our four seniors and you know our younger guys. Uh, really fed off them that's the that's the the interesting thing is how much your team's kind of that the dynamic that you have in some ways you have the young youth you also have the players who who were uh there under your father granted you were an assistant so i suspected and and i think we saw it there wasn't a lot of getting used to things necessarily it was just a matter of listening to a different voice to some degree yeah that's 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 obvious and uh you know, I think with these guys, uh, you know, losing three all-conference players, two first-team all-conference players uh, last year, you know, we knew we had uh, you know an exciting group coming back. However, I think we went into uh, this season with the mentality of, you know, uh, obviously we play the five-in, five-out. You know, we thought we'd be best suited rather than playing our five best guys in the first group or whatever you may want to call it. Uh, we decided to go with the approach of, which guys complement each other the best. Uh, if you look at our lean score, Matt Shearn, you know, he comes off the bench, averages about 17, and he only plays 18 or 19 minutes yeah. of ball game. So, uh, you know, we've tried our best, and, uh, you know, in the preseason, mixing, matching different lineups. Uh, and like I said, it was just uh, solely based on, you know, 
who complement each other and uh, the, you know up to date uh, you know it's been successful for us. Yeah, that is the interesting thing. You kind of jumped there for me is that um, your leading scorer doesn't start and scores seventeen points a game um, and and brings in about five and a half rebounds. You also have five guys in double figures and one who's on the doorstep of that. Um, 14 points a game, 13, 12, 11, nine points from Jimmy Berger. Uh, and of those guys, of those total that we've mentioned, two of them don't start. You, you really, and granted, we shouldn't be overly surprised by this, Pete, because your dad and you, to some degree, are running the same thing where you are subbing in five at a time uh, and going deep in the bench because that's the, the system you run. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, a, a big emphasis, too, I think, uh, and we've demonstrated this over the last several weeks, is the defensive end. Uh, you know, we're giving up a little, little bit too many points. Uh, you know, granted with our style and, and, and us pressuring for 40 minutes a game, you're going to give up baskets. It's realistic. Uh, you know, it's an unrealistic goal if you're going to expect to hold teams in the 60s. And, uh, you know, I think our team has taken uh, a giant leap in the right direction in regards to the, the, the uh, defensive end of the court. And, uh, you know, we've proven over the past couple of weeks, uh, you know, that, that you know the scores don't have to be in the hundreds for us to win. Uh, you know, nice win against BW at home last yeah. week, and then uh, we were in eight Ohio against Ohio Northern, and uh, you know we didn't we didn't reach that century mark, but we were able to hold uh, hold uh, Northern to eighty points, and uh, you know had a positive outcome. Yeah, you mentioned the defense, and I think you know that's been a concern of mine watching you guys. Is I, I love what's going on on offense, but when I see a game against Hope where you lose one hundred four ninety four or uh, Muskegon puts up 112 on you guys. I get a, you know, some of us get a little nervous. Like, wait, what about the defensive side of things? You can put up all the points you want if you can't stop the other team. It gets concerning. It, it clearly sounds like it was a little concern for you. Well, the, the common denominator with with those two games, if you look at how many times uh, Hope and Muskegon went to the free throw line, yeah. uh, it was upwards to about 40 times, and, and that was partially we were following guys. Uh, you know, 85 feet from the basket, which, uh, <laughs> you know, that doesn't help your no. cause. But, you know, we, we put teams in the double bonus very early. And, uh, you know, both of those teams shot extremely well against us. On top of, yeah. you know, 36 of their points, uh, you know, were from the free throw line. Uh, you know, we were able to get it done in the half court. But, you know, when you put a team on line 40 times, they're, they're going to score baskets. And, uh, you know, if we limited our fouling and uh, – you know, get after it defensively, uh, you know, we're quite capable of holding teams in the 60s. How do you make that adjustment? You're a team that likes to play 94 feet, not to be confused with the Grinnell system and everything else. Mm-hmm. You are an up-tempo defense. You are an up-tempo offense, but to a different degree. But you are 94 feet on defense. And as you say, you may pick up some, you know, some fouls 85 feet from the basket or pick up extra fouls and put the guys on the line for free points. How do you make an adjustment, whether it be in-game or in practices, to still keep that intensity? And I think of a Whitman squad who doesn't tend to foul too much, mm-hmm. but at the same time not end up giving your, the opposition a, a lot of extra opportunities and a lot of extra points. Well, we, we've kind of adjusted our pressures. Uh, you know, we have our first unit – you know, they run a certain pressure, and then our second unit runs a, uh, a completely different type of pressure. And, uh, you know, it's as simple as, uh, you know, playing behind guys rather than playing in front. Uh, you know, if the game's called closely with hand-checking, uh, you know, we kind of uh, scale back, so to speak, or at least uh, allow entry passes to come in. And then, uh, you know, we look for trapping and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, I think it's defensively, you know, in practice, you know, moving your feet rather than using your hands and, uh uh, you know, there, there's a lot of common, uh, there's a lot of variations uh, to consider, you know, mm-hmm. when you're following teams. Uh, 
you know, I just think it's sometimes uh, our guys come out a little bit overly aggressive or maybe on the road they're trying to push themselves a little bit too hard or trying to make the, uh, you know, a 20-point play, as I call it. Mm. Uh, you know, if we're able to eliminate those, uh, you know, we put ourselves in a good situation to win ball games. The, the the good thing is the losses are sporadic. I mean, you lose on on December sixth, then you lose on December thirtieth, then it's January seventeenth and twenty seventh. There's no stretches here where things look like they're they're uneasy. But you have stepped up and changed things as the season has gone on. Where again, a reminder: we're talking to you before the Heidelberg exit game takes place, despite this airing on Thursday. But what is what is the mentality now? Closing out the season preparing for the OAC tournament, which you obviously hope is coming through University Heights? Well, to quote a line from the Wizard of Oz, there's no place like home. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think our guys, uh, you know, realize that we've had a lot of success playing at home this year. Uh, you know, and, you know, it's just taking one game at a time. I'm sure you've heard that over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, coaches use that philosophy. But, you know, that's kind of been our approach. Uh, it's one game at a time. Uh, we have not won anything yet. We know, you know, Heidelberg coming in tonight. You know, they've been the likes of Marietta at Marietta, Ballon Wallace at Ballon Wallace, uh, and they played. Uh, you know, out Northern very tough. You know, our conference is so competitive. Uh, I'll be honest. We have four teams that I really feel. I've been around Division Three for a very long time. You know, Northern BW ourselves and Marietta are four teams that are extremely qualified to make the NCAA tournament. And then on top of it, we have five other teams. That are that that are very capable of making a run in our OAC play. So you know it's 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 challenging in the OAC in regards to the fact that we play each other twice. Uh, you know sometimes three times during the course of a, a season, and uh, it's always a dogfight. And uh, you know uh, these coaches they do a phenomenal job. You know preparing. You know watching film, and uh, uh, you know you look at our non-conference play. You know speaking about us uh, directly. You know, four of the six teams that we've played in non-conference play are in first place in their respective conferences. You know, Polytech and the NEAC, uh, Olivet and Hope are both tied in the MIAA. And then uh, LaRoche, uh, they're on top of the standings in the AMCC. So, you know, I think our, our non-conference schedule has been extremely beneficial to us, and we've proven that, uh, you know, we can play with, uh, with a lot of teams in this country. I know you haven't seen the regional rankings because as we're talking, they were posted on this Wednesday afternoon. Again, this interview airing on Thursday, but I've seen them, and you're sitting in third spot. That's another component here. Uh, I assume, should you make the NCAA tournament, as you say, nothing like home, and I've been there, and that place is insane uh, for NCAA tournament games. You're, you're doing more than just keeping your eye on the conference, I'm assuming, at this point. Even if it's just you, you're also trying to make sure you position you guys as best as possible come March. Yeah, any win in February is a good one. I right. mean, uh, you know, it, it just it just helps your uh, your overall resume. Uh, but I still think you know, up to date, our resume speaks for itself. And uh, you know, we're quite confident if we continue to play that we have that that we're a vital vital candidate to make the NCA. And you know, I, I'm aware I've been around long enough to know that uh, you know there's there's a lot of intangibles that come uh, that's broken down uh, in regards to who hosts and. Uh, you know, et cetera. But you know, if we continue to win, I, I like our chances at hosting. Um, when looking at um, the conference, uh, in the regional rankings, yours third, Marietta fourth, Ohio Northern fifth, Baldwin Wallace sixth. You look at the rankings with you guys in conference. Again, this is before the Heidelberg game is played or any Wednesday mm-hmm. games. 
your first, Marietta second, Ohio Northern third, Baldwin Wallace fourth. It is a fascinating race for the OAC this year, and a lot is on the line in every single game as it normally is. But did you even expect this OAC race to be as as uh, complicated or as congested at the top uh, as we've now seen it? You know, I just talked to some of the coaches in the preseason. Uh, you know, we knew it was going to be a, a, a grind of a season. Uh, there's a lot of parity. Uh, and that stems, you know, from the top team to the bottom team. Uh, you know, and I keep mentioning the, the, the coaches in this conference. You know, these guys are veterans. These guys have been around. These guys have won at a high level. And, uh, you know, I think it's kind of shaking out, uh, you know, in our favor in regards to, to where we want to be. Um, we had no clue going in. You know, that we were going to have this type of success. We knew, you know, Marietta, Northern BW, uh, you know, they were going to be in the in the race as well. And, uh, you know, we we're very fortunate. Uh, you know, you mentioned the regional rankings. And, you know, of those uh, three other teams in our conference, we're five and one against them, which, uh, you know, I think will go a long ways when, uh, when the committee selects. It- did you even expect to have this kind of season? What I mean, we talked, and, and I know you you kept your uh, expectations probably a little bit low, especially publicly when we talked back at the beginning of the season. But nineteen and four, thirteen and three in the season. Uh, obviously, the what you've done in conference is, is says a lot. But did you even expect to have this kind of success this year? You know what? I, that's a tough question. Yeah. Um, that's why you know I ask it. Like I said, we had a lot of new new parts, uh, young young guys, and uh, you know we lost a lot. However, I think it was probably after our second or third scrimmage where, you know, I, I kind of realized this is a special group, and it goes beyond uh, just the wins and losses. It's, uh, you know, I, I saw it in our seniors, and I saw, you know, their work ethic and, uh, you know, their leadership qualities, and uh, it kind of it became a perfect storm. And, uh, uh, you know, our guys, you know, are, are competing at a high level. They're fighting every single night, every single practice. You know, we do a good job, the coaching staff and myself, of, Making every practice competitive, uh, without trying to burn kids out. And uh, you know, at the Division Three level, you know, I'm going to say majority of the seniors, you know, they know in a month or two that their seasons are over, their careers are over. So you know, trying to maintain the physical and mental aspect of uh, you know our players is, is just as challenging as the X's and O's this late in the year. Well, Pete, I appreciate you coming on and talking about the team and and talking about the season so far. I know there's a lot to still play for. Again, you have Heidelberg just ahead in our from this conversation, and then Capital to finish things up, and then obviously the OAC tournament and hopefully NCA play as well. Uh, as always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuning in? You know, Dave, I just hope the uh, the basketball gods look down on uh, the blue streaks and mm. uh, sprinkle a little bit of uh, basketball luck in our favor. Well, that would be certainly um, certainly good, but I think a, there's a, about 400 schools that are hoping the same thing. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Dave. Absolutely appreciate you taking the time. He is Pete Moran, and he is the head coach of John Carroll Blue Streaks. Thanks again to Coach Moran for joining us on the City of Salem Hoopsville Hotline to talk about John Carroll Blue Streaks. They pretty much wrapped up the regular season standings in the OAC. They've got a one-game lead on Marietta, but they swept Marietta this season, so they pretty much done and dusted with first place. They will take on Capital and obviously would want to keep up their winning streak, pun intended, to wrap up the winning season on a winning note before they are then the top seed in the OAC tournament. They would love to keep things coming through Tony DiCarlo Varsity Center, to be sure. But thanks again to uh, Coach Pete Moran, and good luck to the Blue Streaks 
in what is a fascinating OAC battle. But to be honest with you, I don't think it ended up the way we thought it would. It's a tight race, but I think we thought it might be tighter. Baldwin Wallace falling off in the end certainly changed things. Baldwin Wallace losing five of their last seven, including the Mount Union on Wednesday, certainly has changed the complexion of that race, to be sure. Though the dark horse may be Marietta in second. They got past Muskegon in overtime, 107-100. They have also been a little bit streaky. They take on third place Ohio Northern coming up on Saturday. That game could swap places for basically a rematch in the semifinals. Uh, don't know how all the tiebreakers work, but uh, Marietta has a win over Ohio Northern earlier in the season. If they lose, then they are tied, and that's where it goes above my pay grade. When we come back, we'll switch to women's basketball, and we'll jump up, and let's say we'll start in the East. We'll talk to Allison Coleman from Sage College about her team, the Gators, and their first season, the Empire 8, and just how well they're doing. You're listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com. From the WBCA and ABC studios, more Hoopsville after this. It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us, all of us. To, to stop, stop sexual assault. assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. This is why we love sports. It's in the way they play, free from the pressures and all the money talk. Playing for simply the love of the game, where everyone has a shot at their definition of success on and off the field. This is what we love about sports and what we can still love about college sports. Welcome back to Hoopsville on this special Thursday podcast edition. If you've got questions for us for now or in the future, you can always tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. You can email us, hoopsville at D3Hoops.com, or join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Hoopsville. Of course, we're also on Instagram where we promote the show mainly, at D3Hoopsville there as well. Don't forget, coming up, we're going to have some uh, probably longer versions of shows on Sunday and Thursday of the next week. And, of course, a week from Sunday, we will have our extended version talking about who's in and who's out of the NCAA tournaments and trying to figure out what the landscape for the 264 team fields and the march to Salem and the march to Rochester will look like. Switching to women's basketball, let's head up to the Empire 8. Allison Coleman and the Sage Gators playing pretty darn good basketball right now. They find themselves in second place, three games behind, or two and a half games behind St. John Fisher, though a little bit of basketball left to be played. The two teams will actually face off against each other coming up on Saturday to wrap things up. First place is not in the battle, but there's certainly more to play with. But more importantly, Sage has entered the Empire 8 and made their presence known rather quickly and adjusted from the skyline. I talked to Coach Coleman about those changes and much more earlier this week. Now joining us on the Hoopsville Hotline, the head coach of Sage, it is Allison Coleman. And Coach, thanks for taking the time. Thanks, Dave. Pleasure to talk to you today. Yeah, I appreciate it. I don't know if anybody else has done this officially, and I know it's late in the season, so it's a little little tardy, but let me just officially welcome you to the Empire 8. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> we have one game to go. So well, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, it's all about timing. It's all about timing. <laughs> I think that's the one thing I've been trying to get used to is that you are in the, in the Empire 8. I keep looking at the schedule and, and having to remind myself, you know, quick change 
for you guys. It, it wasn't one of those two-year processes where everybody kind of knows what's coming. You guys kind of jumped into the E8 quick, and you've made your presence known in the conference pretty quick as well. Uh, yeah, we're, we're trying. Um, you know, it, it's definitely been an adjustment. Um, you know, just obviously the I think the level of play, um, but just also you know different things like the travel schedule. And you know, we have overnights in a hotel which we've yeah. never had before. So in, in the back-to-back games that we've never done besides maybe a tip-off tournament at the beginning yeah. of the season, and to do that mid-January while the kids are in class, it's it's definitely uh, an adjustment that we've had to make. And I don't know if it's true moving forward. I get the f- sense that the Empire Eight isn't really set with this schedule that they may settle into something a little bit more um, or a little different and permanent once they've gotten you guys in the door and things have kind of gotten rolling. Yeah, I know for next year, I think um, we're going to keep it the same um, okay. just because uh, Empire is good with getting the schedules out uh, way ahead of time yeah. um, so we can plan non-conference stuff. But at least for next year, um, it's going to be the same. But, um, you know, it's just it's it's, it's a, definitely an adjustment yeah. <laughs> that you well, have to get used to with, uh, you know, two games in 24 hours. Well, and to add to that adjustment, as no one's looked at your schedule, you had a heck of a run <laughs> between January 11th and February 3rd where you played, and we'll count them together, folks, one home game. Um, yeah. <laughs> you you had a long haul. It started with a three-game road stretch. Then you were home against Stevens. And then you had a four-game home stretch. And unfortunately, in that stretch of, of eight, you did lose three, three of out, out of four coming. Was that part of just the grind there that you guys un, unceremoniously got put into? Yeah, I mean, uh, out of nine games, eight were on the road, yeah. uh, four ho- four away, one home, and then four away again. I think some of it was the grind. Um, I think a lot of it is, you know, the level of uh, teams that we're playing. Um, you know, you don't get a night off in the Empire 8, yeah. <laughs> whether you're playing the number one team in, in, in the standings or, or, you know, the number seven team in the standings. So, um, you know, every every game's been tough. Um, and, and during that time, we're also starting classes again after having a month off of classes. So, you know, there's no excuses because the other teams are doing the same thing. But it was definitely new for us. Um, and I think, you know, that last uh, weekend in Rochester wasn't a good one to – I think it was the first time, you know, since I've been here we've lost back-to-back games. Wow. Um, when we had uh, Fisher and, and Naz up in Rochester. So, um, yeah, we, we uh, definitely, it's, it was a learning experience, and I think it's, uh, you know, helped us moving forward in these, you know, our, the last six games that we've had since then. Well, and I should quote, uh, fix, I did say three, then four. You're right, 4-1-4 four, four was the schedule. And, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you did face, I mean, you played Hoffman and then and lost that one. You did beat Stevens at home, but then lost to St. John Fisher and Nazareth on the road. And that is a tough stretch there. Um, and that's kind of where I think the schedule might get tweaked a little bit in the future to yeah. avoid that. But you're still <laughs> two games uh, out of first place from St. John Fisher, and you've got a, a what three-and-a-half game lead against Hofton. We should point out, uh, in case anybody's curious, we're talking to Coach on Wednesday in case some of this conference games uh, are being played on um, – on uh on wednesday so you're in good position here though one game left against st john fisher catching them isn't necessarily going to happen but at least you're the two seed that that's a, a good spot to be in yeah i mean you know in the skyline we always talk about team goals you know we want to win the conference win the conference and i think coming in this year um even i didn't know what to expect so um also empire eight only top four make playoffs so the goal was to be top four um did anybody think we'd be top two um probably just us <laughs> maybe <laughs> thought that um we, we probably believe just in ourselves um you know outside uh people probably did not um so yeah i mean i'm i'm, I'm happy with where we are um but with seeing the competition 
it's like, you know, we, we had a dog fight with Fisher up at their place yeah. and we went overtime. Right. <laughs> um, so while this coming uh, Saturday, the last game of the regular season, Fisher's visiting us and it doesn't mean anything for the standings. It oh. definitely means a lot for us. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot of implications in that game other than, you know, w- where you're going to end up. Cause no matter what, we're going to Rochester next weekend for the tournament. Right. So, um, but it's senior night. It's, you know, we haven't lost on our home floor all year. There, there's yeah, a lot no of pressure. Uh, coach. Yeah, no, no pressure. Um, and, you know, the kids have risen to every occasion, uh, you know, through the adversity we faced. I mean, we've just played Hartwick and we're down 17 um, and somehow won that game. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and we've done it a lot. At Stevens, we were down 21 and somehow won that game. So the kids have shown more resiliency. And I think it's because of the tougher schedule we have in conference this year. But also, I mean, we boosted our out of conference um, opponent schedule as well. Well, hey, at least uh, the tournament's going to be a straight shot across I-90 uh, for the most part. Travel-wise, it won't be as complicated. That said, you know, you know, if we were to forecast out, and that's what our job tends to be on this side of the microphone, um, you know, this could be a, a preview of the conference title game uh, coming the next week. You obviously want to send a message to St. John Fisher and at least have them looking over their shoulders to some degree before that tournament starts. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's one of the implications of this game, um, you know, coming up. And you know, I think we we were starting to really rise together um, at the right time. Our leading scorer, and I guess you can call uh, best player on paper, um, mm-hmm. has been out the past several games, and we found a way to win. So I think that got some of the other kids um, on the team a lot of confidence. Um, so now, you know, if we can put that all together for this last week and a half run, um, and find ourselves back, you know, in, in the in the big tournament and <laughs> that would yeah. be uh something that again sage has never done which is what we've right. we've always tried to do since i've got here um do do something that we've never done before you guys for the most part i don't want to be too grandiose but you, you dominated the skyline i mean we usually talked about sage being at the top of the skyline conference and and what that meant and switching in the e8 knew it would come with its challenges you've hinted at that but how did you prepare your team for what basically would be a very different conference slate this year um, you know, we're, we're very transparent, uh, with, with the team. Um, you know, we, I don't make them watch a lot of film cause I think teams don't look as good at film as they are in person. Sure. Um, so we just keep it simple with them. And I think the biggest thing is, is, you know, I tell them the one thing I love doing more than anything is scouting. Um, so they really trust my scouts, um, and they, they, they buy in and, 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 you know, they, they take it at just that face value. And I think, you know, the, preparation for our at a conference schedule you know we went we drove three hours to DeSales um to go play them because you know they're they're a tougher team than we faced and adding a NESCAC school in Middlebury um mm-hmm. and they know you know you know DeSales beat us at the buzzer Middlebury was like a five-point game we for the first time ever swept our Liberty League opponents um <laughs> so I yeah. think you know just just doing that and being able to you know really celebrate the little successes along the way to get us here. It, it's all about the, you know, boost in confidence and, and, you know, them believing in themselves, but also believing in the process. Well, a win over a heart, uh, Haverford to start the season, a sweep over um, Stevens, who has certainly been the class of this E8 for a while. Uh, you had a, you have a lot of things here. You can put the feather in the cap as it were. Sure. Yeah. And um, the, the good thing is though, I mean, even the kids, you know, we're not done, you know, Top four E8 may surprise a lot of people, you know, especially top two, but um, they have their goals set high, and I really appreciate it because, you know, today's a day off, but I saw a bunch of them in the gym getting shots up. So, you know, they're motivated. <laughs> well, that's good. 
Um, <laughs> I'm glad to hear that at this point in the season, they're motivated. Sure. <laughs> um, certainly trying to get into the dance, as it were, and, and, and certainly winning an AQ would be outstanding uh, to do that, especially in the Empire 8. Um, new regional rankings did come out uh, today. Um, I, you haven't seen them, though I have been able to see them. You guys fell out of the regional rankings, unfortunately. Does that even come into the conversation for you guys? I mean, you were eighth last time, not in them now. doesn't mean you can't be in, in them down the road. But is that even part of the conversation? You talk about transparency with the team, or is that just not because of where you were positioned in the first place isn't really part of the conversation probably in the end anyway? Um, I mean, we, we talked about it, you know, said congratulations because it was, <laughs> I think, uh, last year we were in the regional rankings yeah. in the uh, Atlantic region, yeah. um, which obviously um, the East region <laughs> with all the teams in here does be a little tougher. Yeah, um, yeah a little deeper. Um, so, you know, say congratulations. You know, that's what we've done so far, but has nothing to do with, you know, what we have left to do. Um you know, especially with all those Liberty League schools in there, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, in that East region, taking up a lot of that uh, that real estate in the, in the top six or five or six. Um, but yeah, it, it was congrats, and you know, let's move on. Um, you know, wh- will they be disappointed that we fell out? I don't know if they really know what it means um, to okay. be, you know, in in regional rankings and, and and things like that. You know, I tell them it has a lot to do with NCAA uh, tournament placement. But if you're not going to be in the you know top two or three in the region. Um, you're probably not going to get that at large anyway. Yeah, and furthermore, if, yeah, if you're putting yourself in that large spot anyway, you're you're playing roulette with who else is in that spot, and who knows how that'll play out. Um, right. You got two seniors on this squad. One of them is the second leading scorer on your team, in Genevieve Schaff, uh, fifteen and a half or fifteen points a game, uh, eight and a half rebounds a game. You're led by Emily Parslow, a junior, fifteen and a half points a game. Uh, Caitlin Bauman, another junior, nearly 10 points a game and nine rebounds a game, near double-double from her, and back to Parslow, uh, four assists a game. Got a nice little mix there, not only of, of, of upperclassmen in the juniors and seniors, but players who are in different roles, forwards and guards, who can do different things. It, it, it makes, I assume, defending you guys a little bit more challenging. Yeah, I think, you know, we talk about that too. When we look at our scouting reports, there's probably one or two players that we key on. Um, you know, we have to shut them down or, or try to contain them. Um, if, you know, and, I, and I think about what other coaches might look at our scout, scouts and our individual players. And, I mean, we do have five or six players that can, you know, score 20-plus points at any given moment in a variety of different ways. So I think that's led to a lot to our success. Um, we're never, we're never going to be the tallest team on the floor ever. Sure. <laughs> yeah. We don't have a six footer on our roster um but you know i think that's where you know we do we we shoot the long ball we definitely shoot what i call four pointers um (laughs) but (laughs) we also have you know people like jen and and kate bowman who can handle the ball and you know somewhat undersized posts that can bring out some of those bigger players and, and make them defend on the perimeter um so that that definitely helps us and you know We'll, you'll never see, you know, our kids probably, you know, especially even in the skyline, get like the player of the year status because we share the ball. I mean, you know, like you said, we have three three kids averaging nearly double figures, and right below that, I mean, we have uh, five five of our players that are um, in the top 
20 uh, for scoring in in that part eight. So, and you know, and there's a reason we lead the league in in scoring per game and assists per game because we do we share the ball and and they do play together. But we also can count on you know having one kid step up if we really need them to. And our bench I think is much different this year. We have one <laughs> um, where we played maybe five and a half six kids last year. We're going a little bit deeper, so I think that's obviously helpful, um, especially with the grind of the Empire Eight schedule. Um, so what's the message with the squad? You've got this one game left with St. John Fisher, obviously at home, and I know you guys would love to wrap up the home season with, with being perfect. Um, and you've got the conference tournament ahead in a week's time. You know you're going to be there, and you know you're going to be at St. John Fisher. So what's the message to the team, and how do you approach kind of the next week, as it were? Um, I mean, Saturday, I don't have to get them motivated. Um, <laughs> they, it, it's senior day. I mean, all, all that stuff that's surrounding that, protecting your home floor, which is one of our goals from the beginning of the season. Um, so I think Saturday will um, take care of itself, not guaranteeing wins or anything, but um, th- they're going to show up. Um, Fisher's obviously very talented, and, and they have a lot of different weapons. Um, but next week, you know, we're, we're going to just approach it just like we do any, any other week, and that's the only way you can do it. We can't look ahead to Saturday um, until we get through Friday. And, you know, I will remind them that the last time we went to Rochester, we didn't leave there happy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, having, uh, you know, our back-to-back losses for the first time in their career. Um, you know, so we'll give them probably Sunday, Monday off, have three days of practice, and then we're going to, you know, head up to Rochester on Friday and just treat it like any other week. Um, you know, I like when they sleep in their own beds the night before a game. Mm, sure. <laughs> um, so we're not going to just have them sit in the hotel, you know, all night Thursday and all day Friday. Um, and I think we have the benefit that we've been in championship games the past two years um, in the skyline. So they, they know what it's like. They know that there's no time to be tired. There's no, there's no time to, you know, complain about missed calls or, you know, anything like that. You just, you just have to, you know, put your nose to the grindstone and just go. Um, so that, that's definitely, I think, an advantage that we have. And because all the kids playing this year, for the most part, um, you know, having Meg Flynn back after an injury last year, she's a sophomore. Um, she, even though she didn't get to really experience it on the floor, she saw it. Um, and they're doing a really good job bringing the, the newcomers along with them. So um, that's the message. Just, you know, play Sage basketball. That's what's gotten us this far. So we're not going to change that now. Well, uh, the Gators certainly have made their presence known in the conference uh, on the switchover, and and I I think maybe proved some people wrong who underestimated them and obviously still have a lot ahead of them. So I appreciate you chatting about them. Um, Certainly fascinating to see how this has transpired. I mean, I admit, I thought you might struggle. I guess you did to some degree. I mean, you haven't dominated necessarily, but you guys have really stepped up in the conference, and I'm impressed. Um, And hats off to you and the squad uh, for that. Uh, As always, give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with those who may be tuning in? Uh, as always, I definitely appreciate uh, your coverage of Division Three women's basketball and basketball in general, um, and especially the Gators. Um, you know, we we like love the underdog role, um, and I think we play it well. And um, even though you're you keep highlighting us, um, we're going to keep trying to <laughs> stay under the radar a little bit. But we yeah. we do we appreciate we appreciate everything that you do for us and for the, the game of basketball. Well, thanks, Coach. If I had known you were trying to stay under the radar, I would have called you up a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> Put you square in front of the radar uh, for everybody. Uh, thanks so much. I appreciate it, as always. Good luck in the next week, at least. Hopefully we're talking about the Gators in March as well. And uh, take care, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Dave. Absolutely. She is Allison Coleman, head coach of the Sage Gators women's basketball team, wrapping things up on Saturday regular season, and then conference tournament, same team, different place, uh, next week, hopefully in the championship game. Uh, joining us on the City of Salem Hoopsville Hotline.
Once again, thanks to Coach Coleman for joining us. And Sage, again, is 18-6 and six overall, 12-3 and three in conference play. That adjustment from the skyline might be a little bit more difficult with uh, travel accommodations, to be sure, but they have done well. Again, St. John Fisher at home coming up, as you could tell from the conversation with Coach Coleman. That is an important game for them. They will then travel to St. John Fisher for the Empire 8 semifinals and hopefully championship game starting on Friday the 23rd. When we come back, we'll go to our WBCA Center Court segment. Southern Maine has always been in the headlines, especially for how well the program is doing. They might be a little bit off their usual um, status, as it were, but that does not mean they're not worth talking about. Their head coach joins us to talk about some incredible things going on, both on the floor, off the floor, and in the community. She is spearheading a lot of efforts there, and we talked to her in the WBCA Center Court. You're listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoopsville after this. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games, leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division III basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody, on this Thursday podcast. We hope you're enjoying this version of the show before we return to live programming on Sunday evening at 7 o'clock. Forgive my voice as well under the weather this week, which is another good reason we're doing the podcast. Not sure you'd want, I'd want to even try and put together a live show on Thursday evening, but here we are. Now time to switch to our WBCA Center Court segment, and joining us there is the Southern Maine women's basketball coach, uh, and certainly all the great things that she is doing at Southern Maine. If you haven't noticed, it goes beyond the win-loss record. Samantha Allen, who's actually a Colby grad, is uh, leading the program, but also leading the school in many ways. She's the uh, liaison for the Southern Maine SAC, and what they do in the community with Special Olympics and much, much more is worth more than the time we can allow on this show. She joined me earlier this week to talk about all the great things they're doing at Southern Maine off the basketball floor. Now joining us on the City of Salem Hoopsville Hotline on the WBCA Center Court. It is the head coach for Southern Maine. It is Samantha Allen. Coach, thanks for taking the time. Yeah, no problem. Excited to be on here. I appreciate it. Uh, we'll talk about the team and the LEC race uh, a little bit later, but as it is the WBCA Center Court, we talk to coaches about what they're doing off the court or outside of the X's and O's, as it were. One thing that certainly interested me is we're all familiar with the SAC, especially in Division Three, where it's really been uh, kind of a nuance of Division Three. The other divisions are starting to grasp it more and, and do more with it. The SAC, very involved in Division Three. It's a liaison between student-athletes and administration, and we see that all the way up to the convention level with a national SAC. However, it feels like you've really gotten your hands on the SAC and, and, and have taken it to another level. Can you just in, kind of explain what was your interest in joining the SAC in the first place? 
Well, I had the opportunity to be a part of um, my alma mater's uh, SAC group um, at Colby College, and I really appreciated the work that happened there. And it was mostly from a level of um, more so leaning towards the liaison piece of it. Um, however, coming into USM and seeing um, we've done a lot with uh, the community here at USM in the athletics department. And I wanted to be a part of this is mostly because we had a bunch of students who were very, very interested in getting, getting involved and being um, a major part of the volunteerism. We tend to host um, forum night or other big events as a department. So from a kind of a ground level with the student athletes and SAC, um, I could tell uh, with, with these particular student athletes that they really wanted to do more and get into more of a, a hands-on experience instead of just um, maybe like one event here and there. So they wanted to do more with, uh, with the Special Olympics, and I know that Division Three has a really strong partnership uh, with Special Olympics, so getting, getting ourselves uh, a more strengthened partnership there with Special Olympics Maine really um, really was exciting for us as a group. And then um, with some of the other initiatives that the National SAC has put forward in terms of mental health and well-being and what's going on with good sportsmanship um, on the court or on the field is has been really important for, I know, our group. And it definitely got me fired up to see how um, interested our our student body was with getting that stuff done. You kind of touch on something that's of interest. All SACs do good work. They're obviously very important for the student-athlete's experience and being able to have a conversation with administration and coaches and, and whatnot in an apartment and the school on the whole. And every SAC in some way, being encouraged, as you said, with a national SAC, likes to give back to some degree to the community, whether it's directly to the college community or the, ex, the outside community, yours being Gorham, Maine. What I find interesting with your SAC in particular is you guys have taken the giving back to a whole nother level. And it starts, as you said, with the Special Olympics, the unified sports program it has fascinated me. Um, you guys have really dived in deep with that um, to the point that I almost feel like anytime I read about Special Olympics, I half expect to hear about the program at Southern Maine. Yeah, definitely. I know. Um Last year and then this year as well, we've continued the unified sports program. Uh, basically, we took about um, eight weeks in the fall semester, and then um, we happened to do a few weekends in the spring semester as well. But on, on those particular weekends, we'll take a, take a Sunday morning and bring in um, some Special Olympians and some student athletes who would like to, you know, better themselves through uh, an array of sports, really, um, most of the weekends, uh, they, the Special Olympians tend to like uh, basketball a bit more, so that's a little closer to my heart. But we definitely jumped in uh, with playing soccer, um, floor hockey. We even did a lacrosse segment at one point, which got a little dicey, but it was fun. It was a fun experience for everybody. But essentially, the, the student-athletes really took hold and, and ran uh, the program. So they'll come in. They'll get um, themselves and the Special Olympians uh, warmed up, make any modifications necessary um, so that the entire group can participate. And then we usually take the first portion of the day to um, run like camp style stations to get specific skill work. 
going, and then uh, we build that up into game settings where you see the real competitive juices flowing with what we're doing, um, you know, on the court or field. Um, or no, we didn't go on the ice, but uh, definitely, <laughs> definitely court or field. Yeah. Um, having guess. having said that, it's been a real a real eye opener, good perspective um, building for our student athletes as they see a ton of similarities um, with these with these Special Olympians because it's it's funny when you boil it down and have you know a, a competitive atmosphere. You find out everybody is just trying to have fun, improve themselves, and you see exactly <laughs> how fired up somebody gets about scoring a goal or making a great pass to a teammate, and there's a, there's a human connection level that is really, really special that we've found this year and, and last year as well. Yeah, you talk about the uh, you know eight weeks, and student-athlete is already maxed out with practices and games, and and um, classwork, certainly, uh, and whatnot. So for student-athletes to then dedicate another eight mo moments, especially on a Sunday morning, to be blunt, that's, that was <laughs> coveted time in my life to get, get some rest, um, to dedicate back to the community. That says a lot for the program and a lot for the student-athletes at Southern Maine. Oh, for sure. They've, they've definitely found, um, found something that they love in this program, and Again, I think it goes back to that that human connection and and knowing that you're you're getting up and you're doing something good for yourself and you're you're doing something even better for the community and what that reflects well on you as a person, um, on the the team, our school, and then definitely the community as a whole. The other thing you you brought up uh, in Special Olympics, as you said, is certainly near and dear to Division Three's heart. Uh, something we saw and started in Salem and has exploded across the country, but. The other one you brought up is one that's certainly getting a lot more talk these days, and that is the, the mental health and well-being of student-athletes and others, um, especially well-timed uh, right now. But especially in Division Three, and we've talked a little bit about it. Uh, we had a, a student-athlete on during our marathon, Claire Marburger from Luther, talking about dealing with clinical depression. And, and I know that the SAC is nationally has taken that on. How have you guys taken that on, and, and what are you doing to, to try and make that a topic of not only concern, but conversation. Oh, it's definitely an important one and one that we need to continue to have, not only um, between student-athletes, but also as administrators and coaches and finding new and different ways to really try to reach each other um, on that level. Uh, last year, we did a peer advocacy training. So we invited not only our, our student-athlete body, but also the, the greater general student body as well here at USM to come together and have some discussions and training with um, our USM counseling services as well as um, our resident sports psychologist, Aaron Hatch. And that seemed to go pretty well, at least giving people an idea of what some of the signs and symptoms might be of those uh, potential suicidal thoughts or mm -hmm. finding, seeing like any sort of withdrawal type um, actions from maybe a teammate or a roommate or somebody else on campus and really trying to be more of um, an act, play more of an active role in helping take care of each other. Mm. Um, this past year, like what we did in the fall, we did something called Kick the Stigma where uh, we held a kickball tournament and had 
many of our campus resources as well as um, a couple community resources come in and do some tabling as well as having a couple speakers before um, you know playing fun again exercise get the endorphins going uh, but it, it seemed to work out really well we worked with our uh, recovery oriented campus group and our USM veterans group as well as our uh, counseling services and what's been really important to um, our uh, SAC group is having uh, more more education around what resources are available to us and then also breaking down the stereotypes of it's usually seen as not okay to go get help or a sign of weakness and really trying to promote that it's coming from a place of strength that you um, you care about yourself and you care about getting better and understanding that there are a lot of people that maybe aren't doing so well but hearing more and more stories about what happens when we when we do get help and what that looks like and um, it's it's really sort of inspiring and I know that the the group that ended up coming um, we had let's see I think we had about anywhere between eight to ten teams uh, show up of about about ten people ish um, they they heard a lot of great stories that day and they had some fun playing kickball and they overall left with the not only the resources in their hand like different pamphlets or um, ideas from the the stories shared there but also um, a fun experience of interacting with people that are not only you know within our athletics community but across the rest of the campus you talk uh, about a lot of what your sack does and what you've done too i just wanted before we talk about some other things i wanted to point out some of the events that you guys have hosted you mentioned the mental health awareness kick the stigma kickball tournament there's the husky community halloween party which student athletes uh, put on for local kids in the community which is outstanding the United Sports Unified Sports Program, which we've talked about, spread the word and the uh, the word event, which is a, um, a national campaign to ending the derogatory use of uh, retarded and other words in the in the business. The basketball tournament, holiday caroling, I love it. Um, this is a very busy sack. Where do you find the time? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really sure. I I think somehow we may have messed with the clocks a little bit to try, try to fit in a little little bit of extra time there. I'm certainly proud of our student-athletes for, for stepping up and finding time in their increasingly busy schedules because it just shows that they it means the world to them. So it makes me proud. Um, the, and if, if you didn't have enough time, as it were, <laughs> let's double down on this. Um, you also do a lot of work uh, with the college, as I best understand it, and kind of what you're doing, and that's getting the community involved in the learning process. Uh, yep. So, I mean, I know I've talked a lot about what we do with, with SAC, uh, but one of my other roles on campus is being a lecturer for our life skills class. Um, in that, we have uh, basically the, the premise of the class is to allow um, first or second year students um, to come in, gain a better understanding of what resources are available to them on campus, how they can best use um, those skills such as uh, time management, um, some test-taking, note-taking type skills, and then uh, more, in, I mean, not necessarily more importantly to me, but another way to help implement a lot of what they learn about themselves throughout those, those first formative years um, is 
just understanding their place in, in the community and what they can do to uh, make it better. So we have, we usually do about 10 to 15 hours of community service over the course of the semester. And we, I've had them jump in and on board with the Unified Sports Program in that. I've had them do some mentoring in local elementary schools as well as um, volunteering at um, a soup kitchen uh, for homeless folks. So it's been, it's been a really fun process to kind of witness these, these young students kind of find their own voice and kind of bear witness to their learning uh, through a, you know, a community service setting. I assume this is, this is going to be um, obvious. I was going to say, how, what's been the reaction of the college to all of this and, and, and the reception to a lot of this? Some, some places can be very you know, applauding, and good job, well done, but not really do much to help. I, I do know you were honored with the University of Southern Maine's President Award of, for Community uh, Engagement. I assume that's a sign that USM has certainly embraced yours and the SAC's efforts, uh, not only on the campus, but off the campus in some capacity. Oh, uh, definitely. I've been, I have been, um, I don't know, applauded, <laughs> I guess, for that. But it, I, I would say that it's more so a direct reflection of our leadership and encouraging um, coaches, lecturers, administrators, everybody across the board to get more involved, be student-focused every day, and have a strong, strong connection with the community that's really given a lot to our school. Uh, and so we're not, not necessarily obligated <laughs> to give back, but we definitely feel a strong appreciation and we, we want to give back. So that, that's, been, that's been really nice. That certainly is a not maybe a unique thing, but it feels Southern Maine takes that to another level to some degree. Uh, before we let you go, let's talk about the team quickly. Uh, again, I don't know where you find all this time, but you do coach a basketball team uh, <laughs> yes, that <I> still <laughs> has a few games left on its season. Uh, you will play Eastern Connecticut coming up on Saturday. Uh, of course, in the LEC standings, you are sitting third right now and look like you're probably you know solidly in third, and there's no way to move up or down. And, but you'd love to go into the tournament better. I know that. How's the season gone from your vantage point after what was, a, I'm sure, a very rough start at 0-6? It was certainly a rough start uh, with, with that, uh, that November stretch. <laughs> yeah. um, since, since then, there's been a very different mentality uh, for our group. I mean, we played an extremely tough schedule in November for sure. Not that it got easier by any means um, after that, but there's definitely been a collective effort to, to get better and make, make some changes. So I'm, I'm really, really proud. We have a young group that is certainly learning more and more every single day, you know, with different close game situations to understanding what it takes to take care of your body for a much longer stretch of season that, than, you know, your high school seasons. So it's been, it's been really, really nice to see. When you, uh, this is an interesting uh, kind of makeup of the squad. I, I feel like it's a young group, despite the fact you have a couple seniors on the team. And I say that because you're led by a freshman in, in Kristen Curley at 16 and a half points a game um, from the you know, shooting, uh, obviously 52% from the floor, which is outstanding. Emily Nicholson, a senior, then at 10.3, but then a sophomore in Chantel Ells or Eels uh, at nine points a game. And she's also your top rebounder at, at, at 7.3. 
So I feel like this is a bit of a young team, despite the fact you've got a couple of seniors contributing. Oh, for sure. I know that if, if we were to think about it, in my very first season, we ended up graduating um, not only the majority of our scorers, but the majority of our um, people who played uh, meaningful minutes. Um, then last year, as you know, it was slightly uh, rough <laughs> a little bit with <laughs> yeah. the schedule and the what ended up in the win and loss columns there. Um, so it was really about having a lot of players play minutes that they were not necessarily ready for at that juncture in the season. Even our seniors uh, that we have this year are still really starting to get um, those minutes that, that count. And if you think about it, for, for somebody who's played or been a part of the program for four years, they're probably more like sophomores or juniors in terms of uh, minutes played. So they've, they've really stepped it up this year. You can, you can feel the urgency with those seniors. And then with our underclassmen, uh, the freshmen and sophomores, you know, coming in and, and working at it, they're, they're really trying to figure it out um, as they go as well. They're, they've, made, they've made mistakes. I mean, we all have. And then the good news is they are incredibly resilient and they, they bounce back and they take coaching very, very well. So they've, they've learned that from their seniors, and um, I'm excited for all of them gaining very meaningful minutes moving forward here as we creep closer into uh, playoff time. Yeah, unfortunately, the 5-21 and 21 season last year re I mean, rebounded wonderfully to 13-11. and 11. How much is the history of Southern Maine um, under Coach Fifield and, and what this program has done in the past maybe still helping with you with recruiting that you can bounce back from a five and 21 season and have underclassmen like you have, uh, especially in a freshman still be interested in coming to Southern Maine. Cause they realize this is still a program that can win. Well, it's, it's funny uh, with uh, my junior class, I guess that would be my first, my first set of uh, recruits there and kind of the, the trickle down uh, sophomores and freshmen, um, all of them, wanted to buy into uh, building a program back to a, a powerhouse standpoint. And when in talking with, with each of them, I've, I've come, to, come to a place of wanting to get kids in here that have won state championships, that have understand what it takes to play in, in tough situations, know what, it, know what it means to be more than just a basketball player, honestly. I mean, the majority of this segment has been about you know the the community stuff, but yeah. we have we have a group that's 100% dedicated to get better on getting better on the court, um, and then they're all they're all getting jobs and internships right now because they are one of the best teams in our athletic departments in terms of GPA and what they do with their um, academics. I know that we've won the highest team GPA academic award um, the past three years, and I would guess that we have a pretty good shot at winning it again next year, and that's just the, the type of kid that, that we're getting in. We want, we want people who want to work hard, the, the blue-collar type of kid that doesn't have anything uh, handed to them. They, they go and get it themselves, and I know that each of the, each of the classes that we've brought in have that exact mentality. So they're, they're very excited to play in the, in the Husky uniform and kind of create their own legacy. Pretty amazing, to say the least. Um, and I highly suspect the Huskies, I mean, you're in third place in the LEC. You're back in the conversation, to be sure. 
Um, but I have a feeling the national conversation isn't that far off again for what is a storied program. And by the way, I still don't know where you find all the time. Um, <laughs> it's outstanding what you do. Uh, before we let you go, we always have a, uh, the questions we ask each coach. Uh, we've had a lot of them in the past. We've kind of pared them down to about five or so. Uh, do you mind humoring us with uh, some, uh, some answers to some uh, questions that we ask all our WBCA guests? Sure. All right. So first, it's probably pretty easy for you. Favorite thing about coaching, especially in Division Three. Um, getting to coach a complete person with them, uh, athletically, academically, uh, personally, professionally, all the above. Really, really fun. That's a pretty cool answer. Um, biggest pet peeve. Um, (laughs) (laughs) you're either censoring yourself or you don't have one. (laughs) I, I do. I would say it would be a timely follow through. Oh, what do you mean by that? (laughs) Um, well, when we say that we are going to do something Uh, or we have sent something out to do, follow through, you do not do it. Not necessarily shooting. <laughs> yeah, no, that's why I was asking, because at first I'm like, oh, yeah, it has to do with shooting. And then I thought to myself, no, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> doesn't sound right at all. Follow through is always going to happen. Um, well, relatively speaking. Um, yep. What's your favorite rule or nuance to the game? Honestly, I, I tend to get the most fired up or excited when, you know, a player gets a charge. <laughs> okay. So for for us, somebody sacrificing mm-hmm. their body and that the rule of getting out, outside the arc, you see them <laughs> sprinting to get there, planting themselves and taking a charge is yeah. probably one of my favorite nuances I, of the I, game. I, I've, I've heard that answer before uh, on and off air. Yeah, I can get that. Uh, do you have any pregame ritual or superstition? Usually when I'm putting up our, our game plan on the on the board, I will listen to music. Okay. Usually some version of a classic rock like Bruce Springsteen. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Good choice. Um, right. <laughs> how would your assistants describe you as a coach? Uh, focus. Um, and dedicated, I would think. Okay. And finally, when you retire, and all good coaches do eventually retire, I know it's not in the near future plans for you, but what do you hope people will remember about you as a coach? That I cared about the complete development of a person. Mm. Um, yeah. that. That's good. Coach, I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, I could talk forever about what you guys are doing in the community. I find it fascinating the amount of time not only that you and the SAC uh, dedicate, but the rest of the student-athletes dedicate. I mean, we're used to student-athletes giving back in Division Three, but it feels like you guys take it to a whole other level at Southern Maine, and I'm sure the Gorham community uh, appreciates it uh, to, to all kinds of levels. Uh, so thanks for taking the time to talk about it and a little bit about your team. Um, as always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuning in? No, just to um, appreciate every day that 
that you have to play this game. Um, might, ball might not always bounce the way you want it to, but taking the time to get outside of yourself, pick up a teammate, pick up a friend, and going and do, doing something for commu your community really does something for yourself. Well said. Coach, thanks for taking the time. As I said, appreciate it. Good luck the rest of the season here, and we'll look forward to talking about the Huskies down the road. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate uh, it. Absolutely. Samantha Allen joining us in the WBCA Center Court on the City of Salem Hoopsville Hotline. A terrific conversation with Samantha Allen there at Southern Maine. Appreciate her taking the time. Again, we could spend a lot more time talking about the Unified Sports Program and what they're doing for mental health and all the programs that SAC does in the community. The Halloween one is great. They set up for Halloween a two-hour party for local kids, and then they all take that stuff down. That's student-athletes from all 22 sports programs at Southern Maine, plus everything else that's going along. That is a tremendous effort. I am sure more schools are trying to duplicate or replicate that or do amazing stuff in their own way. That's what the WBCA Center Court segment is so great about on the women's side, and the NABC Coaches Corner segment is so great on the men's side. And once again, I want to thank our partnership with the Women's Basketball Coaches Association for the help in telling those stories. When we come back, we stay with women, and we talk to one of the teams that is playing some pretty good basketball, and maybe a switch we didn't know about has improved their chances this postseason. Scranton women's basketball coach Trevor Woodruff joins us when we come back on Hoopsville from the WBCA and ABC studios presented by D3Hoops.com. I did receive a non-athletic scholarship upon entering uh, school. I got the presidential scholarship, which was huge for me. I think there's more opportunities for academic scholarships in Division Three. I did receive academic scholarships just being involved on campus, being a leader, all those things combined kind of get me recognized. It's a great experience for me. It starts right when you hit the court. You imagine your finest moment. The game winning shot that gets you to the dance. A monster dunk or no look pass and cutting down the net. Sports lets us dream of our own success and prepare us for our finest moments on and off the court. Welcome back to the Hoopsville podcast on this Thursday. Again, a reminder, we'll be back on the air live on Sunday evening with plenty to talk about and most likely extended shows as we have to try and figure it out at all as we are now getting into neck deep into conference tournament action. A reminder, coming up this weekend, conference tournaments will get started, though I think we've already gotten those started in some conferences this week. But the NESCAC, for example, gets things rolling this weekend. We'll get an idea of where that tournament stands on Sunday, along with a preview of the rest of the way. Now talking, or continue our conversation on women's basketball, and talking about one of the top teams in the country that maybe no one realizes. I will freely admit, I didn't write off Scranton, but I certainly didn't think they were going to have as great a season this year. When they lost to Juniata, in their first conference game of the season, 62-54 in early December, I thought to myself, hmm, this might not be the same Scranton team. I also knew how much this team had lost in turnover in the offseason with both seniors graduating and some players deciding to leave the program. They bounced back with a win over York, and they certainly got a nice win over Messiah in overtime, but it didn't seem like the same Scranton team. Some things have changed, and earlier this week, Trevor Woodruff joined me to talk about those changes. A reminder, we talked before their game against Susquehanna, on the 14th. 
Now joining us on the City of Salem, Hoopsville Hotline, it is Scranton Royals women's basketball coach Trevor Woodruff. And coach, thanks for taking the time as always. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate it. I think I'm still kind of getting used to calling you the women's coach of Scranton, even though you're in your, what, third season by this point in time? And uh, you have certainly uh, acclimated yourself well with the program, but, uh, but you still you still uh, feeling like you're new at Scranton, or are you settled in pretty nice now? Yeah, I think this year it's, um, you know, it's kind of starting to become old hat, and uh, I'm getting less strange looks when I walk into gyms and things like that. It's uh, certainly into year three now. It's, uh, you know, it just is what it is. Yeah. Uh, 22 and one is what it is. 11 and one <laughs> in conference play. Uh, you guys have been synonymous throughout the program's history, but it's certainly under yourself of having these kinds of seasons. Uh, first loss was to surprise upstart. Not, I guess that's not fair. We thought Juniata would be pretty good this season. They tripped you up early in the season. And I remember thinking to myself with some other outcomes, huh, maybe maybe Scranton's lost a step or, or they just aren't as strong as I thought they were. Um, clearly I misread that, but even Messiah took you to overtime and you had some other tough battles early on. Did you guys struggle in the early part of the season? And, and maybe that was a good read or am I just completely misreading how your season was? No, I think that's fair. We, uh, you know, coming off a situation where we graduated, you know, two All-American caliber kids uh, that were, you know, punch number one and two for us yeah. for two straight years, we had to change, and that change isn't always always easy. And to tell you the truth, it, you know, it, it wasn't really the kids. It was more on, on myself and our coaching staff. I have a new assistant coach as well. So just trying to figure out, what we could do well and what we could do consistently against the better competition uh, was a struggle for us. And so we, you know, we went in with a plan um, and early on, it just did not go well. didn't look uh, good offensively. We didn't have a lot of um, chemistry and ball movement, all the things you want. And so it really forced us to make some decisions on whether to stick with it and, and make it better or make some changes uh, we decided to, on the ladder, uh, made some changes in the early part of the Christmas break. And, you know, since then, I feel like we've been much better, more consistent, and uh, certainly, um, you know, getting through the league at this point with that record, I think, indicates we maybe made a good decision. Yeah, uh, I would say you, you would, and I think that's why they pay you the big bucks, right? Uh, oh, huge money, yeah. Yeah, huge. I know. It's absolutely, <laughs> it's amazing the coaches uh, last uh, go for as long as they do. Um, you also had a trip. I mean, you've challenged yourself, but you had a trip also to Nashville uh, where you got to play Wheaton of Illinois. Uh, you played yep. Kings, who who now looks like an, you know, an outstanding part of your resume, the season that they're yep. having. Of course, Caprini on that resume. We mentioned the conference schedule, which includes Gianna. York, who's not that bad a team. We mentioned Messiah and Leb Val and Wheaton. You really went out there and tested yourselves against uh, who you could, especially in the, in the region where that's going to count for regional rankings. Yeah, I thought so. Uh, going in, we were excited about the schedule, and, and um, you know, it even maybe is a little better than I expected when you look at some of the teams you mentioned having uh, the seasons that they're having. Cabrini, you know, having two losses at this point, what a, what a great job Kate's done with them. I don't think they've lost since we played them, uh, which is you know way back in in the first semester. So uh, we're happy with what we've been able to do. I think when you look at our SOS, it's it's very competitive. Um, I I think I, last time I looked at it yesterday or two days ago, 
we might have had the, the highest SOS of anybody not in the NESCAC or UAA. Um, I could be wrong on that. But, you know, so we're really happy with um, the schedule we put together. And obviously if you can manage it and get through it without uh, too many losses, then that SOS is, is a good thing. But, you know, it's always dangerous when you, you know, if you load up the schedule and you get some sickness or injuries, it, it can turn on you really quickly. Well, that's always always the case. The conference race, though, has certainly been fascinating. But when's the last time the landmark conference race wasn't fascinating uh, to some degree? Uh, Juniata started off really well, though you've now got a three-game lead and basically have wrapped things up for the regular season. E-Town was in the mix, Moravian in the mix, Catholic and Susquehanna all tied at 6-6. Six and six. It, it felt like it could be top-heavy. It turned out to be middle-heavy this year. Um, I get, yeah, I guess you could say that, but I will tell you this, um, in my opinion, the league was as balanced as it's been in my three years. Uh, there were, you know, outside of, of maybe one, one team every night was a challenge has been a challenge. And, um, I think that shows in, and where the, the teams sit right now, we're into the last week of the, of the regular season and there's still a lot to play for. Um, I think when you look at the four teams, there's really four teams fighting for two spots, and they're all. I think they all see each other at some point this week. Um, so there's so much to play for. It's been a really challenging league. We we feel like the league has really prepared us uh, well. You know, we're able to move on and get in, into the to the postseason. I think we're going to be pretty prepared, and that's because of the quality of the teams and the coaches in our league. That's the fact. Yeah, I mean, the, it's not like the quality of the games or the coaches or, or the teams have gotten any any worse in the landmark. There's no ups and downs and ebbs and flows. How do you prepare a team for what is always going to be a grind in a good way, but still a grind? Well, it's difficult. I mean, you know, they're kids, and you know, so they they have up ups and downs just like just like the rest of us. And you expect that certain nights they're just not going to have their best pitch. Um, so as a coach, you, you simply just try to uh, prepare them uh, as best you can, try to keep an even keel, um, not, you know, not try to go outside of your typical habits and let them believe one way or the other that this game is more important than that game. Um, whatever game you're playing is the most important. And so we try to have that mindset. Our kids have done a pretty good job with that. Um, I will tell you, one of the, the biggest changes for me having come to Scranton is, you know, because Scranton has been really good for a long time, uh, way before I got here, that we get everybody's best shot. And that is really a challenge when you look at a league like ours where everybody's pretty good. You don't get anybody's down night. You get everybody's good night. And, and so our kids have done a good job of dealing with that. Well, it certainly seems uh, like they're once again having one of those incredible seasons uh, that we talk about with Scranton all the time. You mentioned losing the top two seniors. You seem to have a bit of a young class, a lot of freshmen, a handful of sophomores, but you also had some turnover last year, as we talked about. How's it mm -hmm. been getting that team to gel to some degree? As you said, you had some trouble with the offensive ideas, but somehow you got everything to gel. Well, I think it really started last spring. We have we have two seniors uh, both of whom have really been uh, role players their entire career, um, who just stepped up and, and kind of grabbed control of the locker room. Um, you know, right from our last meeting last year, 
right through to today and have done an unbelievable job of creating a, a welcoming atmosphere, an atmosphere where everybody's voice is heard and everybody's opinion uh, has weight and is considered important. And so they really set the tone. I think uh, our sophomore class has done a good job of, you know, coming from a decent freshman year to taking the next step and understanding with just two seniors and one junior on the roster that they maybe had to be more than just a typical second-year group. Um, and they've done a great job. And then, uh, you know, Bridget Mann, who's who's the one junior on the roster, yeah. <clears throat> um, has just been off the charts. So it's really been a good a good balanced group. Uh, the chemistry is is terrific, and hopefully we can continue that the next the next uh, few weeks here. Yeah, Bridget Mann, 16 points a game plus five rebounds a game. She's your uh, top assist leader, 79 assists through 23 games. We should point out we're again as we most of these interviews talking to coach. Uh, before their Wednesday game uh, in conference. Uh, but she's also shooting 42% from the floor, 42% from beyond the arc, 88% from the free throw line. Um, not too shabby. She's also joined by Mackenzie Mason at 10 points a game on average. And Katie Fe- uh, Ferry, or Fury. I don't, how do you say Katie's last name? Well, I say it Fury. Okay. And well, yeah, her, her dad played in the NFL, so I try not to screw anything up yeah, with Katie. That's a good idea. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll get it from, uh, your, your guru of broadcasting on Saturday, but nine point nine point three points a game for her in a, in a team high six and a half rebounds. Obviously that trio is important, but as you said, so is the rest of the team. Oh, absolutely. We, uh, I would think that's really been, uh, one of the secrets to our success this year has been the balance. Um, I'm not sure, you know, outside of Bridget, who's been really consistent throughout the course of the year. On any given night, we've got three or four or five different kids who who may step up into that you know kind of secondary or third scoring role um, on the team. Uh, Katie Fury, as you said, I, you know we played a big game with Moravian a few weeks ago. It was uh, 98 to 94, which is not typical for us. Uh, and Katie had a career game where she she got uh, I think 27 points. And so yeah. you know we don't expect that from her, but in a, in a big uh, in a big game, she was able to do that. And that's just one example of a bunch of times this year where kids who maybe we didn't expect uh, to, to have that kind of night did so. Again, we're talking to Coach before they take on Susquehanna at home, and then they'll be on the road at Goucher on Saturday to wrap up the regular season before coming back to the Long Center to uh, host the uh, conference tournament. So here's a trick question for you. What are you doing wrong? Well, I think as coaches, we're all typically very critical of ourselves and of our teams. I, you know, I know we on a daily basis say, "What the heck are we doing? Why, you know, why can't we get that right? Why does this person continue to make that mistake?" And I'm not going to share those with you on the phone. But oh, uh, come on, coach, that's <laughs> the best part of the show. Well, I think we certainly have challenges. I mean, we knew coming in, rebounding was going to be important. So that's something we continue to stress. And um, you know, our our ability to score inside we've gotten i think continue to improve as the year's gone on but you know we lost two studs in there and uh we're asking kids to step up and certainly they're not going to be uh like alexis and sarah were but they've done more than hold their own so you know i think you know there there are strengths and weaknesses to every team we're no different um and you know we work every day to try to get better at those weaknesses. Um, if you want to talk in 
July. I'll let you know what I thought they were. Oh, July? I gotta wait till July? <laughs> oh, come well, on! I'll tell you what. As soon as, as soon as we're done, give me a call. Oh, okay, fine. Uh, you're taking all the fun out of it, though. Yeah, um, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, you're not. <laughs> uh, so, what's the message to the team? I mean, we we know. Scranton, by definition, is going to have standards, and the standards are you yep. go and you battle for a conference title, both regular season and, and and tournament, and you go to the NCAA tournament, and you do damage in the NCAA tournament. We know that. But what's the goals for the team, and what's the expectations, and what's the message to the team now that you've at least wrapped up one of those three? Well, for us, we really put a put a lot of weight on the conference championship. That's, that's our number one goal. Um, you know, obviously, I, and any given year, we could maybe compete for some other things, but our goal is to is to win the conference championship. And in that way, regardless of what happens from that point on, you know, you're going to hang a banner in the gym. You're going to, you know, be connected as a team forever. And that's great. And that's an important thing. And you know, for our team, we talk about that all the time. Let's let's put our stamp on what is a great history and tradition, and we'll be linked together forever. And then whatever happens after that, we'll we'll take it uh, one way or the other. Yeah. So that's where our focus is. Um, it's not going to be easy. Yes, we're at home. We're excited to be home. Our kids have done a great job to earn that privilege. Uh, but this thing is far from over. And whatever four end up making our conference tournament, all four have a legit chance to win the championship. So what were you saying you did wrong or you're not doing right this year? Um. <laughs> I probably, you know what, I, I'll tell you what, I'm struggling a little bit with my voice and what I found out, what I found out is that nobody's happier about that than my players. And so I'm trying to actually talk less at this point in the year and not screw them up because they're, they're in a pretty good place and the, um, things seem to be rolling pretty good. So I'm trying to stay out of the way. I, I don't blame you a bit. Hey, I appreciate you taking the time talking about the Royals. I uh, look forward to seeing you briefly on uh, Saturday. In the meantime, as always, as you know, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuning in? Uh, well, yeah, Dave, I, um, you know, like all your callers, we appreciate uh, what you do, creating a, pl- a platform um, for Division Three basketball, in our case, Division Three women's basketball. We're, we're proud to be just one of, of 450 great um schools around the country who do what we do and uh thank you so much for giving us the opportunity and the platform that you do well thanks coach appreciate the kind words take care of yourself uh, i'll look forward to you giving me all the juicy details at some point in time and you got uh, it. safe travels in the meantime take care dave see you soon absolutely trevor woodruff joining us from the uh, from the scranton royals women's basketball team on the city of salem hoopsville hotline so scranton may be as dangerous as many figured they well So Scranton just might be a pretty dangerous team. They have made some changes, and it certainly seems to be doing well. The closest game that I can find, both were against Moravian, 98-94 in overtime on the 17th of January, and 75-70 in overtime on January 31st. They got past Susquehanna easily, 64-47. We'll probably not get much of a challenge in their final game against Goucher on the 17th. The conference tournament lays ahead They will host that tournament, as we mentioned, and it will most likely involve Juniata, Elizabethtown, and Moravian, surprisingly Catholic, and Susquehanna may miss out. But with a game to play, there's a lot still to be played for on the landmark side. The interesting thing is Moravian and Catholic will actually play each other. Moravian won that game earlier in the season, 
If Catholic were to win, we go to tiebreakers, and I'm not really sure where that goes in the Landmark Conference because I can't keep all of those things off the top of my head. But we'll keep an eye on that this weekend. Interesting note on the men's side of things, Scranton men will most likely miss the tournament, though they are tied with Catholic at 8-5 and five, uh, in the fourth-place spot. Catholic uh, has, has had their number as Scranton has lost both times. So immediately Scranton loses the tiebreaker in that scenario. They're going to need a miracle. Uh, they're going to have to get past Goucher, Scranton will, and Catholic's going to have to get past Moravian. The irony of all that is that Moravian is leading the conference at 10-3 and three, with Juniata and Drew tied at 9-4 and four in conference play. The landmark men's race is certainly an interesting one, though not maybe as top-heavy as we're used to, but it will be fascinating to see what happens. Catholic has to uh, beat Moravian, and Scranton has to beat Goucher for Catholic to move on. Should Catholic lose, Scranton's going to get in despite losing to Catholic both times this season. A lot, of, lot to talk about on Sunday about how those outcomes turn out. So again, a lot of women's guests on this show, uh, just circumstances. We had another men's guest lined up. It didn't work out for this week. Not a big deal. We can bring them back another time, but it just ended up being a little off balanced on this Thursday show nonetheless. Going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will wrap things up here for the Hoopsville Thursday podcast. You're listening to Hoopsville presented by D3Hoops.com for the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoopsville after this. College basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. The College Basketball Experience is the place to get your game on. It's not a museum. It's an experience you won't forget. Discover the history of the game in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, featuring the Gallery of Honor, Mentor's Circle, and Honor Theater. Suit up in the latest CBE-logoed Nike gear at the CBE Hoop Shop. Elevate your game today and visit the house that college basketball built. I'm a Division III student-athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, or less than. So I pledge to speak up if I hear the term gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic terms. If you can play, you can play in Division III. I'm a Division III student-athlete, and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family. So now I pledge to do the same for others. If you can play, you can play in Division III. Welcome back to this Hoopsville Thursday podcast, the non-live version. This late in the season is rare, but we appreciate you tuning in nonetheless. A reminder, we'll be back on the air live on Sunday at 7 o'clock Eastern time with most likely an extended version. I am sure there's plenty to talk about. And then we'll be back on the air Thursday live as well at 7 o'clock Eastern time. At this point, we're also going to probably start throwing out the uh, the regional assignments that we normally have. On Sundays, we normally talk to the Northeast, the Atlantic these um, south and central regions and on thursdays we tend to talk to the east mid-atlantic great lakes and west regions we'll probably start throwing those out as soon as sunday um, as there's just so much to talk about and things we want to get in on the show so just expect that as we move forward a reminder there's still plenty to, to figure out in the next 10 days of the regular season a week from sunday we will be on the air with our special show to break down who's in and who's out of the NCAA tournament, but more importantly, we still have another set of regional rankings to look at next Wednesday. I again apologize for not going too in-depth on the regional rankings on this week's show. Just under the weather hasn't allowed me the time. Also just a little bit busy as well. We'll certainly be a little bit more prepared for Sunday and then Thursday's show to be sure. Those regional rankings on, on next Wednesday will certainly give us an idea who, who is in trouble or who may be safe 
when it comes to selections. Though that said, with the number of losses we've seen on the men's side, it may just make it more chaotic. This week's rankings at least gave us a good idea of where teams sit, though there are caveats and quirks and whatnot. We'll see how this all plays out. I'll be fascinated to see where the rankings go next week. I also want to start diving into some things. I feel like maybe some of the numbers are taking over precedence that we're not used to. We'll have to figure out how that all plays out. Plenty to figure out when as we continue to move forward. But again, a reminder, a week from Sunday, we'll be talking about who's in and who's out as the committees. We'll be getting down to work on all that throughout the day on Sunday. And then a week from Monday, the 26th, we will be on air talking about who did make the tournament. And once again, I'll be part of the NCAA broadcast as the analyst for those bracket reveals. That's going to do it for us. I want to thank all of our guests for appearing on this show. They include Pete Moran at John Carroll, Allison Coleman at Sage, uh, Samantha Allen at Southern Maine, and Trevor Woodruff at Scranton. I want to thank their sports information directors and staff as well for their help. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. A reminder again, back on the air live as we normally are, Sunday at 7 o'clock, barring we've gotten over this illness as well. You've been watching Hoops Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC studios. want to thank our partners at D3Hoops.com, the Women's Basketball Coaches Association, National Association of Basketball Coaches, and especially the City of Salem for their support of our show and our efforts. The march and road to Roanoke, or to Salem, I should say, and to Rochester is quickly approaching. We'll know who's on that road coming up in a week and a half's time, but there are plenty of teams still in position for an opportunity. Plenty to talk about, so stay tuned to Hoopsville. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at D3Hoopsville and hashtag Hoopsville, on Instagram, also at D3Hoopsville and hashtag Hoopsville, on Facebook at facebook.com slash Hoopsville, and of course you can always email us, Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com. Thanks for your time, everybody. Hope you enjoyed, and we'll see you back here on Sunday night. Good night, everybody. Copyrighted broadcast of Hoopsville is a property of DMAC Productions and David McHugh and is intended solely for the private, personal use of our audience. Any other broadcast, rebroadcast, or other use of the descriptions and accounts of this show without the express written consent of Hoopsville and DMAC Productions is strictly prohibited.